Hey everyone, it's Chris from uh, Cage Club and now and again. And here at Cage Club, you know, we are Americans, we are patriots. And we are going to start this episode and every episode from here on out with the national anthem. So please rise for the national anthem. To perform the Star Spangled Banner is an acclaimed singer, songwriter, actress, and eight time Grammy Award winner from Hacienda Heights, California, Fergie. Can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly wave at the twilight's last gleaming whose bright stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the So, Nico, how um, I noticed you were kneeling for that national anthem, which is absolutely the I mean, if there's any anthem to kneel for, it would be that one. <laughs> yes. Um, hey, everybody. It's Nico. Uh, I would like to just point out that I have spent like the better part of 10 episodes defending Fergie as a talented performer and um, <laughs> talking about how I love how Fergalicious she is and stuff. And like I've defended her love of spelling and her love of her own name. I, I, I've even defended her love of including Will I Am in every single thing she does. And I just don't know, you guys. I just don't know. Um, yeah, I, saw a, uh, I saw a video of a, um, a vocal coach who was oh, kind yeah. of breaking it down yeah. in the nicest way possible. And he was like, yeah, she was singing out of the side of her mouth a lot of it. But also, that arrangement wasn't doing any, any favors for her, which is true. That is a really... It's probably the shittiest non-Roseanne national anthem I have ever heard. I think... Like, but a lot of it is just like, who needs a jazz version of that? My joke kept being like, she did it as a favorite of Pink to help her, uh, you know, get past the Super Bowl. I mean, oh God, the Super Bowl in general. Fuck, there was nothing musically good about that Super Bowl, was there? Um, no, and I, I think part of the funny thing is, I... Since the last time we discussed Justin Timberlake, a lot of things have come to light. Um, yeah. And I'm actually, unfortunately, firmly anti-J-Tims right now. His choice of collaborators, his his invoking the Me Too movement in a picture mm-hmm. sexualizing his wife. You fuck, that's not how it works. His, uh, All, his very cringeworthy social justice, quote-unquote, uh, music video. Yeah. You know, to all 213 of our listeners, I, I'm so sorry I've led you down the wrong path. I've defended him. And I think I have to just accept that my member is, well, wrong terminology, but my, <laughs> my sinker is JC, who, uh, ready for it, get out your drinks, 
did an amazing track with BT called um, The Force of Gravity. And it's actually one of the best songs on his record, Emotional Technology, which features his highest charting song, Somnambulist, better known as Simply Being Loved, uh, which you can check out an acoustic arrangement of that song on my Instagram and other fun things. So this is obviously an EP episode um, because... Frankly, I'll be honest with you. I need a break from now. The era of music we are on is just is fucking killing me. Um, and I want to give all, uh, what was it, 114 listeners? Uh, I'm sure it's like a tenth of that. A, uh, I want to give you my best me. So we're going to just take a break this month. And uh, we're going to talk about some fun pop stuff. Because we always say we want to catch on the pop wave like when it's happening. And we always end up talking about stuff six months later. Uh, but we're going to try to jump on some stuff that uh, recently happened. Um, like that Quincy Jones interview. We're going to talk about that today. Uh, because it fucking rules. And um, Nico, can you give the children in the audience um, a quick primer on who Quincy Jones is slash was? Okay, I do need to start with, I'm going into this episode and I'm restating it for the millionth time. It reads like a fucking fever dream. I, I know. multiple times thought it was satire. I kept thinking it must be the Borowitz Report. And, like, I mean, I seriously, I literally thought it had to be the Borowitz Report. Like, I kept thinking... Oh, it's way funnier than the Borowitz Report, Oh, man. it really is. But, like, I kept I kept thinking this is impossible. It was like discovering the Not Tilda Swinton Twitter. It was like... It seemed like it literally couldn't be a self-aware Quincy Jones. Uh, so, Quincy Jones, I, I guess the best way to explain it is he is the, probably the, the most prolific and important producer in American music. He is an octogenarian and is um right that means in your 80s right yes correct he is 84 uh he's about to be 85 in march um he is best known to the grand public i guess uh as the guy who arranged basically every pop and r&b hit in the 1980s um i'm so obsessed everyone knows i'm so obsessed with janet jackson and i've mentioned um her production team on more than one occasion and they couldn't exist without Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones paved the way for every other major uh, black producer to come out. Uh, the man's a genius. You would know that uh, <clears throat> if you like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, he produced that television show. Uh, he is quite prolific. If you're a fan of uh, Parks and Rec, Rashida Jones, he produced that as well. So... Ah, I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah, because she's his baby. So, um, and if you like uh, Twin Peaks, um, Norma was married to him for a while. That's Rashida Jones' mom, Peggy Lipton. Okay. Yeah. Did he he also give us Dougie Jones? Dougie Jones. Uh, My favorite thing in the world is no matter what thing goes wrong is just going, Dougie Jones. (laughs) No matter what it is. So he no. gave an interview with um, with Vulture, um, which I, I don't know if I've ever heard of before, but it fucking rules. And we're just going to kind of go through it, not line by line, because sometimes he's normal, but most of the time... No, 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 no. He, he is ne- I'm sorry, he is never normal. There is not a single goddamn response in here that doesn't sound like it's buying an alien. <laughs> I feel like only Rachel Dratch can interpret this properly. <laughs> it and just, Every time you think it's over, it just gets crazier. He, I, I'm trying to find. I, it, it's every line is dripping with this, 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 this. I, I, I got angelic venom. I don't know how to explain it, but That's it's good. like, I like that. it's like your drunk grandfather is selling everyone in the family out to you, out back after dinner, and you just thought you were following him out here for a beer, but he's literally telling you every bad thing about everybody in your family ever, and he's saying a lot of bad words. Oh yeah, I, it it is. It's jaw dropping. It, I mean, let's just let's just we just got to start. start. He starts off. I mean, he, he starts, starts off, off with Michael Jackson. Sure, I mean, he's just like, hey, Michael Jackson, right? Uh, and this, his first sentence. I mean, the 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 interviewer is just like, so what's something people don't understand about Michael Jackson? And he goes. He was as Machiavellian as they come. He, and he stole, stole a, a lot, lot of stuff. Songs. Oh my god. I, oh man. So he just talks about how Michael Jackson stole stuff, and we're obviously gonna put this up um, on Cage Club. Um, a link to it, but you can also just Google Quincy Jones interview. It's stuff that people would not stop talking about for a while. Um, so I mean, I'll take the interviewer for this part, and uh, you, you just read the Quincy Jones answers here. Um, what about outside of music? What's misunderstood about Michael? 
I used to kill him about the plastic surgery, man. He'd always justify it and say it was because of some disease he had. Bullshit. How much uh, were his problems wrapped up with the fame? You mean with the way he looked? He had a problem with his looks because his father told him he was ugly and abused him. What do you expect? Well, we did. Oh no, we have talked, talked about that. About on the this. Show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we are all Quincy Jones. Hashtag We are all Quincy Jones. Um, it's such a strange juxtaposition how Michael's music was so joyous, but his life just seems sadder and more odd as time goes by. Yes, but at the end, Michael's problem was propofol, and that problem affects everyone. Doesn't matter if you're famous. Big Pharma making Oxycontin and all that shit is a serious thing. I was around the White House for eight years with the Clintons, <laughs> and I'd learn about how much influence Big Pharma has. It's no joke. What's your sign, man? Pisces. Hold on. No, hold on. Pause yourself. Pause yourself. Because it's like he listens to our podcast. Yeah. Or... Or like when I dial into the Matrix and being downloaded directly into Quincy Jones. Oh my god, do you think that Quincy Jones listens? Do you think we've... Maybe maybe Janet does listen and maybe Janet was like, Quincy, you gotta hear this show. If... Oh my god, if, if Janet Jackson has ever heard my voice, my heart would never stop singing. I, I just... Oh my god. But I swear to god, he does listen to this. It's freaking me out. Uh, wait, wait, wait. So, um, he's also Pisces and then, uh... The interviewer asks, you just mentioned the Clintons, who are friends of yours. Uh, why is there such a visceral dislike of them? What are other people not seeing in Hillary, for example, that you see? I literally can't believe he does this. It's because there's a side of her. When you keep secrets, they backfire. Like what secrets? I know too much, man. This is, this is, this is Pizzagate. He's talking about Pizzagate, right? <laughs> I, I... I, he, I, oh my God, I, I literally don't know what to make of this interview quite often because I, 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 I'll I'll tell you this much. This is just the start. Uh, Yeah. I I need to jump ahead a little bit. I I need to include the thing he's about to say next. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's something you wish you didn't know? Who killed Kennedy? Who did it? Chicago mobster Sam... Giancana? Yeah. Uh, the connection was there between Sinatra and the mafia and Kennedy. Joe Kennedy, he was a bad man. He came to Frank to have a talk with Giancana about getting votes. Yeah, you know, I've heard this theory before that the mob helped uh, win Illinois for Kennedy in 1960. We shouldn't talk about this publicly. Where are you from? Pause. It's, pause yeah, this shit. Let's pause this pause the fuck out of this shit. The next like, no, no, three no, no, questions no, no, are no, 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 no. This starts to read like a Bill Lawrence script at some point. Where you can't believe the drunk old man is saying all these things? This is some... Okay, so like two years ago, there was a show on ABC. Uh, my husband and I affectionately called it Faggot Show. Uh, it was uh, Dan Savage produced, and it was vaguely about his life. Uh, the Real O'Neills, <clears throat> which featured the unbelievably brilliant, and we're all lucky to have her, Martha Plimpton, who is just so absurdly talented and capable of any role. It's not funny. Um... And it featured a young gay man in the lead named Noah Galvin. And Noah Galvin, uh, very talented, very handsome, just did a run, a stint in um, Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway. Super great guy. Uh, But he gave this interview where he said a lot of things, including things about how he doesn't get certain roles because he won't do things in the hot tub with Brian Singer. Okay, yeah. And, like, called out every gay man in Hollywood on every level. He said some stuff in there, and people were like, we're going to cancel your show. Quincy Jones is saying some stuff that people would like. If Quincy Jones wasn't Quincy Jones, after this interview, he would be, um, oh, why can't I think of her name? Um, She's saying fancy. Well, saying. Izzy Azalea? Izzy Azalea, yeah. If he wasn't Quincy Jones after this interview, he would be Izzy Azalea. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Oh, Iggy. Iggy Azalea. Oh, sorry. Because yeah. it's I-G-G-Y. Yeah. I had to think about um, it. This is a pop music podcast. We know these things. Oh, whoa. I never noticed that this has footnotes in this interview because there's so much weird shit that the interviewer had to, uh, to clarify his insanity. Um, but I will clarify something is that the Frank he's referring to is Frank Sinatra, who he did a whole bunch of shit with, um, production with in the 60s. And... In some interview from 2013, he Quincy Jones. Quincy, this is not new. This insanity, apparently, because in 2013 he said uh, in an interview about old Las Vegas, um, he says Frank Sinatra took me to a whole new planet. I worked with him until he passed away in '98. He left me his ring. I never take it off. 
Now when I go to Sicily, I don't need a passport. I just flash my ring. <laughs> like, it's a fucking, like, Illuminati secret decoder, be sure to drink your Ovaltine thing. Yeah, I guess I just didn't... I... Like, the Casinanati is just, like, maybe a little too silly for me, but here's here's where I, I had some trouble with this article. This is, like, the first red flag for me. Okay. The Michael Jackson shit kind of did make a little bit of sense, and I don't mean that sinister to Michael Jackson. Yeah. But it's hard to... He, like, literally won that suit. The suit... He actually... So, um, the... Quincy Jones filed a suit against Michael Jackson's estate over Billie Jean sampling the Donna Summer song mm-hmm. he claims that she sampled. He sampled... Uh, he won that suit. Okay. And um, I don't – I just think that's kind of important to note. Uh, even though Quincy Jones was – I don't know how this suit is possible because Quincy Jones is also on Billie Jean. Yeah. But but I guess he was getting credit for the other people on the other track. Uh, you know, you just can't be that brilliant without stepping on a few people somewhere along the way. It, it, I'm not being a dick. I'm not saying anything horrible about Michael Jackson. But no one is 100% good all of the time. Period. And, well, speaking of um, stepping on people, um, <laughs> we can probably skip past the Hendrix stuff, um, but how about this one? What were your first impressions of the Beatles? Oh, wait, I have to finish this political shit. Oh, oh right, about the Clintons and stuff like that. Sure, yes, and, <laughs> uh, and obviously Pizzagate. So, Quincy Jones decides this is the time to wade into... Like, he doesn't actually say anything bad about the Clintons at all. He just, like... Yeah, he'll say a lot worse about Trump later on. Yeah, he just sort of says that the Clintons aren't as transparent as people want them to be. That's really all he says, and I've got to be real with you. That doesn't... That's not, like, a PhD thesis. That's, that's like, a clickbait article. And so, like, you know, he's not saying anything grandly profound, but yeah. he is saying something true. The I-know-who-killed-Kennedy shit... <laughs> And he's so sure, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, well, like, hey, Frank told him, man. Frank told him. Yeah. Old Blue Eyes yeah. wouldn't lie about this shit. No, no, but at the same time, I'm pretty sure Old Blue Eyes drank a lot. <laughs> and so, like, okay, let's move forward, because this is where the article gets to actually be really, really important. And just to, just to contextualize for a minute, one of the reasons I do respect Quincy Jones a lot is... Um, despite this article, is he is he sees music kind of the same way I do. Hmm. He sees it like genre is dressing, but a good song is a good song, but you need to understand genre, and you need to look at classic genre, and you need to know where music came from, and that... I, I, I'm not being that guy. I'm not like, when, my, when I was in high school, it was better. No, I'm... I actually... I just don't think there's like a whole lot of amazing out right now. Yeah. Um, there's, you can find a whole lot of amazing, but it's not being represented on the radio in any exactly. capacity because we are phasing the radio out of existence. And the only things that still cling to the notion that the radio is the survival market are the corporations that have never figured out how to transition to the internet. And that's just got to be fine because as as people stop having radios installed in their car and start having these weird little internet stations with YouTube channels and, you know, it's fine. It's whatever. Fuck me in the dick. But... He's about to talk about some really unbelievably specifically awesome musical history and his intersection with it. And it's fucking awesome. Yeah. And it's like this one minute where you're like, holy shit, it's Quincy Jones. Holy shit, it's Quincy Jones. Holy shit. Because like sometimes when I hear the things celebrities say, I'm like, but like I know if I was in their presence, I'd be like, holy shit, it's that person. That's kind of how I feel about this moment in the article. For a minute, it's Quincy Jones. For a minute, it's one of the most significant producers in the history of music. And it's incredible. We'll get back into the unbelievably weird political things and the awkwardly exposing people from his past things in a minute. I mean, but essentially, so you, Quincy Jones is just Grandpa Simpson, right? Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like he's just like he just can't hold it together. He's just got to tell you what it is, and it's almost like Sophia on the Golden Girls. And mm. in the first episode, they kind of hide it behind she had a stroke. And they bring it up a couple of more times throughout the first two seasons. But at some point, they give up the pretense that Sophia had a stroke that is the reason she is so uh, unbridled um, <clears throat> with her with her mouth and her language. And they 
sort of let it be that she just always was that way, especially for flashback purposes, because otherwise it wouldn't be funny if all of a sudden Sophia is kind of a doormat. No one would care. Wow, really off topic. No, actually, uh, Melissa and I have been watching um, The Golden Girls a lot recently, and it's like a background thing while we're working, and we noticed that, like, it does, it unfortunately, as good as that show is, which everyone should watch some Golden Girls, um, man, it really falls into that sitcom trap that you're kind of talking about of just turning everyone's, like, main characterization point up to, like, 11 by, like, season four, and they just stop becoming characters, and they're just, like, traits. I think sometimes you can get away with that, but unfortunately when the show switched producers and head writing teams, there's a severe instant decline in the quality. It's a very different approach. Instead of being a situational comedy where four women's unique perspectives create intersection on conflict, it becomes a sitcom where four old ladies can't stop farting, and it's just awful to watch. Yeah, but it's still better than Breaking Bad. Do not at me. Anybody. So back to the interview. Yo, he, that was he got so he got so upset when we were like when we were like Breaking Bad's so good, but it's not in my top ten. He was like, I am flabbergasted, and like I that was a really good Joey was, impression. Thank you. I couldn't <laughs> believe that he was so mad. Oh, uh, we're fired. I'm super. No, no, I'm super famous for doing my impressions of people. Now this has like become part of my like con persona. Chris can tell you. Growing up, I used to love doing voices and impressions of people. And it's only gotten more severe as we've gone on. Um, <clears throat> I do impressions of people I'm on panels with now. In front of them? Because, yeah, but like good nature. Like I'll tell a story about one of my fellow panelists and I. And uh, I, I do their part in my story because it's a loving impression. It's I, I genuinely love impersonating people and things. And that's why I'm so emotive on this show sometimes. Because we're covering a broad spectrum of topics with so many characters I really, really love. And, you know, so many celebrities that I, I listen to so many hours at night that they kind of feel like friends to me in a really inappropriate way. And it's like why I said to Tori Amos when I first met her, I'm not sure the first thing you say to somebody who taught you how to love yourself because I want to say I love you, but that's really creepy because I've never met you before. And that was the first thing I said to her. <laughs> and she said that she loved me and she held me close and I saw. Oh, I saw. You know, I just had a realization that I think I like this interview so much because it's kind of like every episode of our show. Is yes, like I'll say it's, one, he's watching us. I'll say like one thing and then you will tell an amazing story. But part of it, I'm not even sure I can believe. But but like it's profound and really the belief doesn't matter. I want to cast us in a production of Frost Nixon. <laughs> I think that would or, be the most incredible my dinner thing with Andre. ever done. Oh, so good. I love it. I love it so much. Uh, how about a two-man version of Driving Miss Daisy? <laughs> oh, fuck. Waiting for Gadot. Dibs on Daisy. Waiting for Gal Gadot. Oh. oh, my God. Waiting for Gal Gadot. Yes, please. Absolutely. Uh, we need to... Everyone has turned this off now. Um, <laughs> Everybody turns it down yeah. to negative 11. Uh, let's do the the rock music stuff, because again, uh, speaking of Quincy Jones listens to our show, um, the interviewer asks, what did you think when you first heard rock music? Rock ain't nothing but a white version of rhythm and blues motherfucker. You know, I met Paul McCartney when he was 21. Well, well, what the fuck? I bet a lot of people did. What were your first impressions of the Beatles? That they were the worst musicians in the world. They were no playing motherfuckers. Paul was the worst bass player I've ever heard. And Ringo, don't even talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> At times he sounds like the dean from Community. <laughs> I remember... Wait, okay, back to Quincy. I, re I, remember, I remember once we were in the studio with George Martin and Ringo and had taken three hours for a four-bar thing he was trying to fix on a song. He couldn't get it. We said, mate, why don't you get some lager and lime, some shepherd's pie, and take an hour and a half and relax a little bit. God, this is so insulting. So he did, and we called Ronnie Varell, a jazz drummer. Ronnie came in for 15 minutes and tore it up. Ringo comes back and says, George, can you play that back for me one more time? I was thinking about our foreign correspondent. I didn't do the Very accent. good. <clears throat> so George did, and Ringo says, that didn't sound so bad. And I said, yeah, motherfucker, because it ain't you. Great guy, though. <laughs> I... I, I can't! Well, this, it's like... The, uh, the footnote here does say, like, it, they have to... Because it sounds so ridiculous that he was in the studio with George Martin and Ringo Starr. 
that they have to put aside of it. And it's like, no, Quincy Jones arranged a version of Love is a Many Splendored Thing for Starr's solo debut album, which, I mean, obviously the world remembers Ringo Starr's solo album so very fondly, after all. I just really want to point out, I think it's really cool, and I wonder how much that session influenced the development of Westeros. Uh, uh, I don't follow. Because it's George Martin. Oh, fuck you. Oh, fuck you. You didn't get the joke. I'm inserting a slide whistle in post. Um. (laughs) So let's keep going from there. (laughs) Were there any rock musicians you thought were good? can't even write this. I used to like Clapton's band. What were they called? Uh, Cream. Yeah, they could play, but you know who sings and plays just like <laughs> Hendrix? Uh, folks at home, think about who possibly Quincy Jones could say plays and sings just like Hendrix. I will bet every dollar I have, which is not much, but I will bet every dollar I have that you cannot guess who he's going to say. Is it Steve Wozniak? Is it Tim Cook? (laughs) Uh, who, Quincy? Paul Allen, why? And the guy, the interviewer just goes, stop it, the Microsoft guy? Yeah, man. I went on this trip on his yacht and he had David Crosby, Joe Walsh, Sean Lennon, all those crazy motherfuckers. Then on the last two days, Stevie Wonder came on with his band and made Paul come up and play with him. He's good, man. I mean, it, it, the interview does link to a, a video of Paul Allen playing guitar, and he is, you know, fairly competently playing some scales, I guess. Like, he's, he's, it's a little shreddy. It's about 30 seconds. It's better than, like, Fred Durst's guitar solo. Um, right now I'm dangerous. But I'm still questioning uh, the idea of, of Paul Allen singing and playing like uh, like Hendrix. Um, Jesus, fuck. Um, so he actually has some good points here, honestly, um, after this. like He has some really important like social justice stuff. I, his legacy as a humanitarian and uh, a charity... Uh, uh, seriously, Quincy Jones, a charitable organization. Uh, just to contextualize, he grew up like 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 I think the interview talks about it, but the interview doesn't really go into it. He grew up like deeply poor, mm-hmm. and he did like not that people didn't help him because he does credit people who helped him, but the man did it himself. And yeah, and I mean, for us to be saying you were not black, and yeah, for us to be calling him Grandpa Simpson and being like, you know, he's not like. He's Grandpa Simpson where he, like, tells a story about the time he had to put an onion on his belt and go to Shelbyville. Like, he's not old man yells at cloud. Like, he's really fucking cool. Like, he's talking about... Yeah, he's, he's closer uh, to Professor Farnsworth. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's talking about how we're in, like... He's, he does say we're at the worst we've ever been, but, like, we're fighting and that's a good thing. And women have had to deal with some fucked up shit. And um, he does say we can't talk about Cosby in public because it's too fucked up. Like, he's he's aware of this kind of shit, though. Like... We okay, are no, no, no. Here to... I do need to. I need to actually bring up something here, though. Sure, sure. You can't skip through this. He talks about some really important social justice causes, and yeah. what's really awkward is this article is very against his agenda. And when I say his agenda, I mean Quincy. Jo- uh, Quincy Jones is an old school social justice warrior. Uh, he supported Martin Luther King at the time, not later, not in hindsight, mm-hmm. not he bought a cool T-shirt in college, right. He supported Martin Luther King Jr. at the time. Uh, so he actually has lived a very long and dedicated life to like social awareness and, and improving the world. So that parts of this article um, were not in, not in accordance with really who he is as a man. But there is a point at which it goes back to, no, somebody wrote this to make fun of Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones upset someone at the post and they wrote this satire. Chris, would you please do me a favor and read what about the alleged behavior? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. So I'm back to the interviewer. But what about the alleged? So, I mean, yeah, he did, He does talk about how, like, again, what I said, he's, he's super into feminism, super into, like, fighting racism. And he thinks it's awesome what people are doing. We, you know, I love his line. Women and brothers were both dealing with the glass ceiling. And then the interviewer says, but what about the alleged behavior of friends of yours like Bill Cosby? Is it hard to square what he's been accused of with the person you know? 
it was all of them. Brett Ratner, Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein, he's a jive motherfucker. Wouldn't return my five calls. A bully. What about Cosby, though? What? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I wasn't even... What about it? Were the allegations a surprise to you? We can't talk about this in public, man. Let's wrap it up with this. I'm sorry to jump around. Be a Pisces. Jam. (laughs) Quincy Jones fucking rules. Quincy Jones' response to people misbehaving is, We have the same star sign, man. Don't be like that. Holy shit. I mean, he's still Quincy Jones, but I can't believe some of this interview. I know. Um, He says some really important things about Trump and racism. And then he talks about dating Ivanka. Yeah, he says, I used to date Ivanka, you know. Also, he says Trump is limited mentally, which fucking rules. Yeah, he's like, I used to hang out with him. He's limited mentally. I can't stand him. Yeah, he claims to have dated uh, Ivanka Trump. Says she had the most beautiful legs I ever saw in my life. Wrong father, though. Um, he, he's Would your friend if, Oprah be a good president? I don't think she should run. She doesn't have the chops for it. If you haven't been governor of a state or CEO of a company or military general, you don't know how to lead people. She is the CEO of a company. A symphony conductor knows more about how to lead than most business people. More than Trump does. He doesn't know shit. Someone who knows about real leadership wouldn't have as many people against him as he does. He's a fucking idiot. Quincy, 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 Quincy. You know, you know who I expect to kind of, you know who I expect this interview from? Uh, I don't, uh, other than Grandpa Simpson, I have no idea. Iggy Azalea! (laughs) Yeah. It actually reads like Harry because it, it's, it is Quincy Jones who has had, I mean, let's talk for and the man's been around 84 years. Mm-hmm. He's lived a lot of lives, and he has been so influential to so many people, and the sphere of music he exists in is so important. And then here's Quincy Jones calling the sitting president of the United States a fucking idiot, saying that he used to date the 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 current president's daughter, who is like a third of his age, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, it's like... <laughs> Like, so much of it is good, and, like, all of his points politically are, like, spot the fuck on, and I'm into everything he's saying, and then he's just like, yeah, I I dated the president's daughter. Like, it's just, like, how... He just takes these dips into, like, shit that didn't happen town, and it's just, like... It's like reading Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Every couple of pages, you're like, what the fuck? And, like... (laughs) You know, maybe he did. Who are we to doubt Quincy Jones? I wouldn't doubt him. That's the thing. I just wouldn't say this shit. That's... Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. If I've come off in any way, shape, or form other than I believe he <laughs> truly thinks every single thing he's saying happened, then I have come off wrong. I think Quincy Jones crossed the famous people line that you don't ever cross. You don't sell out your fellow famous people for a fun interview. You, that's what I was bringing up with the Noah Galvin thing. Yeah. He was just like a little nobody boy, and he opened his mouth, and they literally said to him, if you don't print, you know, if you don't have a humongous, genuine apology, you, you will be canceled. And when you read the article, you can actually see how it's a pretty, um, pretty antagonistic, and uh, the journalist clearly knows that they can manipulate this boy mm. into saying things he shouldn't say for an amazing interview. And that's just pretty dark. But no, I don't think for a moment that a single thing in Quincy Jones's accord of this did not happen. This happened. Every word of this happened. So he has a good, uh, he kind of goes off on a, a trail. He says, when I go to Dublin, Bono makes me stay at his castle because Ireland is so racist. Bono's my brother, man. He named his son after me. So I have the names of Bono's children here. Let's try to pick out uh, which one is named after Quincy Jones. Uh, is it Jordan? Is it Memphis Eve? Is it John Abraham? Or is it Elijah Bob Patricius QGQ? The rest of them are pretty normal. (laughs) I expected there to be no name that sounded even close. But that bizarre white nonsense you just said at the end there. Uh... (laughs) I'm going to guess it was that one. Because fuck it, why not? The Q stands for Quincy? Wait, maybe? His name is Juicy Fruit. <laughs> Juicy That's his name. <laughs> uh, yep. 
What is what is what is this what is this poor Irish boy's name? Elijah Bob Patricius GGQ. I, oh my god. I guess Bono ran out of names when he ran out of songs. <laughs> I guess the Q is Quincy question mark. I'm gonna go with that. Cause what what the fuck? So, okay. Now let's get into the part where he says that his brother that he loves so much that named a child after him. Oh, I mean, this is the best answer in the whole interview. Yeah, yeah. The interviewer asks, is you two still making good music? And we just get, in brackets, Shake's Head. Shake's Head. (laughs) Oh, man, it's so good. Uh, I mean, he's not wrong. Um, I'm pretty interested in this stuff he has to say about We Are the World. Not gonna lie. This is fascinating. It's even more than fascinating to me because it, I don't even know. It's such a specific piece of music history to touch back on. Mm-hmm. So when the interviewer says, why not? Quincy says, uh, to, you know, when the interviewer says, why doesn't you two still make good music? Which there's a question. Yeah. That's a really weird question. Quincy says, I don't know. I love Bono with all my heart, but there's too much pressure on the band. He's doing good work all over the world. Working with him and Bob Geldof on debt relief was one of the greatest things I ever did. It's up there with We Are the World. Uh, There's a small anecdote in your memoir about how the rock musicians who had been asking to sing on We Are the World were griping about the song. Is there more to that story? It wasn't the rockers. It was Cyndi Lauper. She had a manager come over to me and say, the rockers don't like the song. I know how that shit works. We went to see Springsteen, Hall & Oates, Billy Joel, and all those cats, and they said, we love the song. So I said to Lopper, okay, you can, just get your, uh, you can just get your shit over with and leave. And she was fucking up every take because her necklace or bracelet was rattling into the microphone. It was just her that had a problem. That's probably like the first negative thing I've ever heard about Cindy Lauper, but it's not the first negative thing I've ever heard about her, uh, her manager at the time. I've heard that he really fucked up her career. So we can skip down a bit because he actually does talk about music. Again, just read this interview because this, this is stuff that isn't interesting for us to talk about a podcast, but it's interesting as fuck to read about it. Talking about the spirit of jazz and pop, talking about his opinions on rap, like all this stuff is, it's, it's interesting to read about Quincy Jones, less so to talk about on here. I just love that he says, he's asked what his greatest musical innovation is, and he says, everything I've done. It's really interesting because I'm on Quincy's side, and I'm, it's, I'm even on Quincy's side here. I agree that he, most things he's done have been greatly significant, but to, to argue that everything he's ever done is all on the same pedestal is, is, is a really foolish way to describe your legacy. Yeah. Nobody, nobody has that. There's no one who has that. I, I sometimes make a joke that um, I don't know what Adele is going to release next. Mm-hmm. Um, I do hope it's that peanut butter and jelly sex tape. But um, <laughs> if it's not that, I, I kind of hope it's like super electronic. I just want to hear her do something totally different that I don't see coming. And she's kind of done every version of 90s pop at this point. So... I, I really want to hear something new, but it almost feels like critics can't come out against her at this point. She yeah. just is that, like, super crit hit darling. She doesn't have to sell well. It, it's popular. It, it doesn't have to be popular. It still sells well. Kind of no matter what she does, it's untouchable. I, I still think she is amazing for having the humility she has. And I don't think Quincy Jones and Adele are on the same pedestal. But I guess my point was just um, Lady Gaga at the height of her popularity seemed like she was going to literally take over the earth. Right. And now, you know, then she American Horror Story. He is asked what's wrong with uh, modern pop music. And he says it's just loops, beats, rhymes and hooks. Uh, What's there for me to learn from that? There ain't no fucking songs. The song's the power. The singer is the messenger. The greatest singer in the world cannot save a bad song. I learned that 50 years ago. And it's the single greatest lesson I ever learned as a producer. If you don't have a great song, it doesn't matter what else you put around it. Which is, I think, pretty fascinating. Oh, 100%. I think it says a lot about what he feels about music, that it's expression. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's why he's so honest throughout so much of this. He's he's just giving you who he is at all times. So he's asked who does good work, and I'm intrigued by some of his answers here. He says Bruno Bruno Mars, Chance the Rapper, Kendrick Lamar, um, Ed Sheeran, 
Sam Smith. Surprising answers. No, no. Wait. I'm sorry. I want to hop in here. He does not say Sam Smith's music is so great. This is true. He says... It's so he says he loves how gay Sam Smith is, <laughs> which is the fucking weirdest, most fascistic thing I've ever heard anyone say about Sam Smith. Okay, <laughs> because there's a lot of articles that are like, why is the gay community turned on Sam Smith? And we kind of are like, because he says weird things like he's the first gay person to ever win an Oscar, and no one's sure what to do with that. Yikes! Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I and I don't mean this. I don't mean it split hairs, but he specifically says the Ed Sheeran record is great. Oh, true. You're right. Yes. And the only reason that's important to me is because Ed Sheeran's had multiple right. records. But he goes like he goes out of his way to make it sound like there's only one that's hit his radar. I don't know if that's significant or if he only means Divide. Uh, the, the article was, does link to Divide, but, I mean, who could really know what he's referring to? Who could ever know what Quincy right. Jones is referring to? And then he says, Mark Ronson is someone who knows how to produce. He certainly is. He is. There's just something about, like, Sam Smith. He's so open about being gay. I love it. He's not gay. People are probably asking, like, oh, well, other than that other stuff, why is this interview crazy? Let's, you know, every good movie needs, like, a second act that kind of dips before we get to the climax. So hold on, motherfuckers. Let's get right back into it with... The interviewer asks, you're talking about business, not music, but, and I mean this respectfully, don't some of your thoughts about music fall under the category of back in my day? Music principles exist, man. Musicians today can't go all the way with music because they haven't done their homework with their left brain. Music, I'm sorry, with the left brain. Music is emotion and science. You don't have to practice emotion because that comes naturally. Technique is different. If you can't get your finger between three and four and seven and eight on a piano, you can't play. You can only get so far without technique. People limit themselves musically, man. Do these musicians know tango, macumba, yoruba music, samba, bossa nova, salsa, cha-cha? And, you know, before we get into this next stuff, uh, I fucking love that answer. That's a great answer. Quincy Jones fucking rules. I I love that Quincy Jones is calling out the death of the seventh, which I, if you've ever heard the music I make, there's, it's an awkward number of sevenths. It's... (laughs) terrifying uh the interviewer says maybe not the cha-cha marlon brando used to go cha-cha dancing with us he could dance his ass off he was the most charming motherfucker you ever met he'd fuck anything anything he'd fuck a mailbox james baldwin richard pryor marvin gay he he slept with them how do you know that frowns come on man he did not give a fuck you like brazilian music <laughs> the you can almost hear the brakes slamming in that sentence. <laughs> yeah, because he just outed like four people. Yeah, so, um, yeah, he ships Marlon Brando and Richard Pryor and Marvin Gaye. Can I be real? You go, I'll be real. I'd read that. I would. I'm going to write some fanfic about the Rat Pack all fucking each other. That has to exist, right? Um, if it doesn't, it should, is the thing. We're going to trigger all the conservatives by uh, making a, some slash fiction about Sammy Davis Jr. fucking Frank Sinatra. It's okay. We don't have to worry because all the rental car agencies and all the air, uh, airlines have dropped the NRA. So it's not like they can come get us. <laughs> all their modes of transportation have been taken from them. And now, uh, well, well, all right. Uh, yeah. I have. I'm not going to even get into that. We need to stay on. Uh, well, speaking of guns, um, I read that as a young man, <laughs> you used to carry around a 32. Yeah. Uh, then he just goes, "Yep." Did you ever fire it? Yep. At what? Grins. Just practicing. <laughs> that is like seriously. That is the. That is some. That seriously reads like somebody being like, "Yo, that's a big dick," and him being like. <laughs> Oh, is it? Like, I mean, that is that is some fucking alpha dominance bullshit right there. He just cucked this entire reporter's family. Like, no, if Quincy Jones walks into this guy's house, he owns it. He owns it. The guy puts on a gimp suit. I'm not <laughs> kidding. It's, a, it's just a, a textual ball gag. 
let's we we probably have to go we're actually not there's not that much left though i do love that the note at the end says this interview has been edited and condensed from two conversations um interviewer hashtag release the memo we need all of this uncut for the love of god yeah there's um there's there's no way this is fair if you're if you're It'd be like finding out the James Brown It's a Man's World interview had like aired <laughs> three minutes of footage. I remember watching that as a kid and being like, this is fascinating. <laughs> and like, as an adult, I'm like, this is the greatest piece of human satire I've ever seen. That's going in the liner notes. It's so good. So there's a couple, there's like four or five questions straight down we got to answer. And then we start coming to the end. So the interviewer goes, um, okay, let me ask you a left field question. <laughs> as if there haven't been like 12 of them. Um, let me ask you a left field question. In your memoir... There's a section where you talk about... Being a dog? That's not what I was thinking of, but yeah, that's in there. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking of a section where you describe having a nervous breakdown not long after Thriller. You talk so often about your ups, I'm wondering if you can maybe talk about one of your downs. What happened was that I was a producer on The Color Purple. Spielberg and me are still great friends, man. He's a great fucking guy. I loved working with him. Uh, Yep, but what happened on The Color Purple that caused your breakdown? What happened was that I was a producer on that movie and everybody went on vacation after we finished filming. Everybody except me. I had to stay home and write an hour and 55 minutes of music for the movie. I was so fucking tired from doing that I couldn't see. I put too much on my plate and it took its toll. You learn from your mistakes and I learned I couldn't do that again. I'm going to personally outside. I'm going to blame because at the time Color Purple was nominated for like – 12 Oscars, which was a record, and it won none. I'm going to blame it on Quincy Jones. (laughs) I think, you know, fuck it, why not? What's the last mistake you learned from? Yo, this blew my mind. My last record, 2010's Q, Soul Bossa Nostra, I was not in favor of doing it, but the rappers wanted to record something as a tribute to me where they do versions of songs that I'd done over my career. I said to them, look, you got to make the music better than we did on the originals. That didn't happen. T-Pain, man. He didn't pay attention to the details. Um, I think, if I'm not lazy, I think I'm going to splicey-splicey some of um, the Quincy Jones, T-Pain, and Robin Thicke cover of Pretty Young Thing here, because holy shit, is it bad. The names that I listed alone tell you that yeah, it is not good. I gotta be real. What you just said, like, um, sort of sounds like, have you seen that remake of The Honeymooners starring uh, Tucker Max with a theme song by Macklemore? <clears throat> I like... don't understand what you just said at all. <laughs> you just turned your eyeballs inside Wait, out so you could see your own death. Tucker Max, like the, I hope no, they I serve beer in hell like, authors. Yeah, I was being funny. I was saying, look at what an impossible... Oh, oh my god. I don't... See, the world doesn't make sense anymore, so I thought that was real. okay. Um, No, (laughs) because that would be incredible. Tucker Max, the honeymooners. Nothing... Nothing makes sense. Like, that... That could be just, like, unspeakable words that summon dead old gods. Like, that could happen. I don't know anymore. Not Paul Allen's Hendrix. Quincy Jones could have dated Ivanka. Who knows? Hey, those legs, man. Uh, Trump would agree. They go all the way to the floor and then back up all the way to her body. I um, Let's do some of this part because I, I love this. Um, you're about to turn 85. Are you afraid of the end? No. What do you think happens when you pass? You're just gone. Are you religious? No, man. I know too much about it. I knew Romano Mussolini, the jazz piano player, the son of Benito Mussolini. Oh, my God. That sentence is so good. Continue. I'm sorry. We used to jam all night. And he'd tell me about where the Catholics were coming from. The Catholics have a religion based on fear, smoke, and murder. And the biggest gimmick in the world is confession. You tell me what you did wrong and it'll be okay. Come on. And almost everywhere you go in the world, the biggest structures are the Catholic churches. It's money, man. It's fucked up. I like that earlier he's like, I can't talk about 
Bill Cosby, man. It's too fucked up. There's people listening. And he's just like, fuck the Catholic Church. Yeah, he's like, Cosby's touchy. There is no God. <laughs> Quincy uh, Jones is prioritizing here, man. It is a different world from where you come from. I love that he's just straight up about, like, um, he just says his big money came from TV producing. That syndication money is great. Like, dude is just, like, real. I, I love, I love it. Um, yeah. I mean, the rest of the stu- fucking Jones. Yeah, the rest of the stuff he's kind of just plugging out. Um, there's a link here at the bottom. We quizzed Nicolas Cage on his old movie lines, and honestly, he was great. Um, so I'm going to link that to uh, Cage Club owner Joey Lewandowski. It's like, it's, okay, you know, every now and then somebody comes out with an interview about themselves and you're like, oh shit, you know, Madonna spread her legs and the whole world was like, eh, all right, I'll look. And then yeah. like, you know, Michael Jackson did the This Is It documentary. Right. And everybody was like, the fuck, right? Um, every now and then somebody has like this eye-opening interview, you know, uh, it's, but it's usually about themselves. And they might divulge something about someone else. Brooke Shields lost her virginity to Dean Cain, who, you know, now is a, a right-wing nut job. Hmm. Yeah, oh yeah, he is. Him and um, his, all those all those syndicated superheroes, man. Him and Hercules and... Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, Chachi. Antonio, Sobatio, Antonio Sabato Jr. and Scott Baio. Scott yeah. Baio. Uh, wow, yeah. So it seems like when you start life as a washed-up piece of shit, you become real racist. But when you actually are badass and rise to something like Quincy Jones, you end up being pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, That's the moral of the story. But I think my only point here is he does cross a lot of lines that he can only cross because he's Quincy Jones. He he super duper fucking names names. And as a gay dude, fucked up. Like, if if Marlon Brando really was, like, you know, I, I have no kind of Brando impression at all. Well, everyone has a Brando impression. It's just the Godfather, and no one should do it anymore. Right? But, I you know, like, I can't even imagine if he'd be like, I want to fuck in the ass. Like, I, mean, I can't even imagine what those jowls, I can't even put those jowls right. saying those words. And I can't imagine Richard Pryor being like, Fuck me in the ass, man! Like I, I and I can't imagine Marvin Gaye coming into the room and being like, "My turn!" Like, it's just this was those men's business. And as a gay dude, Quincy, uh. Richard Pryor's widow, well, widow, Richard Pryor's widow, Jennifer Lee Pryor, <laughs> uh, when she was asked about that, she said it was the seventies. Drugs were still good, especially quaaludes. If you did enough cocaine, you'd fuck a radiator and send it flowers in the morning. She was pretty cool about that, yeah. Quincy Jones was forced to apologize. So By I'm just going to read. Daughters. Yeah, I'm going to read uh, the what he posted on Twitter, which why don't I follow him? I'm clicking follow right now. He says, a couple weekends ago, my six daughters, who I'm beyond proud of, took me aside to do a surprise family intervention because of some silly things I said in two recent interviews. And I have learned my lesson. Let me tell you, I'm so grateful for my daughters because they aren't scared to stand up to their daddy. I'm an imperfect human and I'm not afraid to say it. And I'm sorry and I'm not afraid to say it. Uh, when you have been fortunate enough to have lived such a long and crazy life and you've recently stopped drinking three years ago, certain details about specific events which do not paint the full picture of my intentions nor experiences come flooding back all at once. And even at 85, it's apparent that word vomit, in quotes, and bad-mouthing is inexcusable. One of the hardest things about this situation is that this bad-mouthing has contradicted the very real messages I tried to relay about racism, inequality, homophobia, poverty, you name it. And of course, I don't want that. I've already reached out to my friends privately, but when you live a public life, you have a responsibility to be an example, and since I do lead a public life, I want to make a public apology. I'm sorry to anyone whom my words offended, and I'm sorry especially to my friends who are still here with me and to those who aren't. These friends are like blood family to me. To all my dear friends and family, thank you for your grace, thank you for calling me out when I've clearly made a mistake, many mistakes, even though sometimes it's difficult to receive criticism or discipline, especially publicly. I want you to know I hear you, I hear all of you, and I thank you. So I encourage you all to please grow with me and keep on keeping on. Love an 85-year-old bow-legged man who is still learning from his mistakes. Okay, first off, that is how you apologize. Secondly, Quincy Jones, you did not need to apologize. Well, he did. But uh, I do think it is literally the best apology I've ever read for, like, in a statement like this, ever. It's it's the kind of way I like to apologize, where I hit every front you could have been hurt on, and like I I think he showed more class in one message than certain world leaders are capable of in their entire family. So, 
Yeah, it wasn't um, sorry you were offended kind of a thing. It was, man, what a fucked up thing I did. And even at my age, you can be fucked up and get called out on it. And that's significant. And look at me apologize because a man apologizes. I want to know Quincy Jones. I want to be friends with him. Oh, yeah. So bad. You know, I want to be friends with the man who looked at Will Smith and said, you need a TV show because you would become part of the cultural lexicon just by being goofy you. (laughs) I want to know the guy who said... Michael Jackson, you're better when you have your own ideas. Let's get you in a room and get you writing. Yeah, I want to know Quincy Jones, the guy who's like, I'm going to make Ann Perkins. Like, I want to know that Quincy Jones. I I might read that book because I want that what it's like to be a dog story. That got dropped yeah. way too quickly. Yeah, that's like, I'm, yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't. Fuck it, I can't. I'm so happy we got to talk about that and not months down the line. Oh, yeah. <sighs> Good old Quincy Jones. I hope uh, those of you who didn't know who Quincy Jones was has learned something about Quincy Jones, because he uh, fucking rules. Um, and I know it's really easy to, when you think of him, pigeonhole him into being that guy that helps the Ninja Turtles, but he's so much more than that. He has the name of Casey Jones, but the brains of Splinter. Yes, and evidently the mouth of Bebop and Rocksteady, <laughs> if you catch what I'm saying. Oh, man. Um, I guess we can leave it there. Thanks for talking about that with me. Oh, thank you. I, I do I, I do think it's really cool that now, and it, I mean, I don't want to like point it out, but the, the title does lend itself to doing these episodes where we jump to the present and talk about significant stuff. Um, it's really great to get to talk about these massive interviews, and I think the stuff we said in the letters episode, not the letters episode, I'm so sorry, the year-end best of about... Um, doing a, a live listen to the new Carly Rae when it comes out is, is a really great idea because we are now and again. Yeah. And, you know, let's do the now too. It's super cool. And it was super great getting to talk about this interview because it is so culturally significant. And, you know, I, I have maintained the entire time that Quincy Jones is a good guy who gave a shitty interview. And, uh, whereas when I refer to the Noah, the Noah Galvin interview, uh, that interviewer clearly took advantage of, uh, a very new to fame young gay man who didn't yeah. understand the rules. This interviewer was held captive by <laughs> Quincy Jones's relentless machine gun of alpha dominance. Yeah. I have I mean, I mean, like, I kind of wonder if this interviewer was like halfway through it, it was like, Can I get in the Leia costume? <laughs> Can I get in the Leia slave girl costume while we keep having this interview? I mean, I'm not comparing Quincy Jones to Jabba the Hutt in personality, but in evidently gravitas because no matter what he said this interviewer is just like um and like just keeps going with it it's amazing i will just just to kind of put the capstone on quincy jones as a human being in 1974 jones suffered a life-threatening brain aneurysm so he decided to cut back on his schedule and spend time with his friends and family since his family and friends believed jones's life was coming to an end they started to plan memorial service for him he attended his own service with his neurologist by his side in case the excitement overwhelmed him. Motherfucker, 30 years ago, attended his own funeral and is still alive. Quincy Jones fucking rules, folks. Yeah, Quincy Jones is indestructible. Where can people find you on the internet uh, and other places? <laughs> um, maybe fucking Radiator. Who knows? Uh, other places you can find me in front of my television getting really excited for Voltron and Unreal, both debuting in March. Uh, but that's just me being like, go check out things I really like. Um, but if you want to find me to follow me and all of my body salacious posts on Instagram, that would be Nico Vasillo, N-I-C-O-V-A-S-I-L-O. Uh, uh, if you want to check out my comic book, it's at KidRiotComics.com. Brand new website, completely relaunched and redesigned Ooh. with new content nonstop. It's really cool. You guys should check out the amazing team that did it. Sale on land. Like, I'm really crazy, obviously, and super particular about everything. And they, like, got it made, <clears throat> which is unbelievable in and of itself. Um, and, yeah, so those are the places you can find me. You can find me at cageclub.me and at Chris Podcasts on Twitter, where I post a lot about socialism and Satanism. And uh, much like Quincy Jones, I fucking rule. Uh, and for Nico Vasillo and, um, and for Quincy Jones, who uh, I wish was my dad, I will catch you on the flip side. Jive. I'll say, can you say bye?
Drive bad, ride.